G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Everybody's talking about values, traditional values. Yet, uh, very few people really comprehend what values mean. Welcome to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, where each episode passionately proclaims uncompromising truth from God's Word, even when it counters popular culture. Values are not derived from the culture They are derived from our sense of wonder and awe at the awesomeness of God. David shows us four awesome things about God and how to apply them to our lives. Today, a look at the awesomeness of God through the eyes of King David. It's a dose of reality about God who desires to be an intimate part of your life. Right now, though, listen with me to today's challenging message. In Psalm 139, that tells us what happens to a believer when he or she begin to exercise the sense of wonder and begin to reflect at the awesomeness of God. For in this great hymn of David, David shows us four awesome things about God. Four awesome things about God and how to apply them to our lives. First, in verses 1 to 6, he tells us, about the awesomeness of God's knowledge. Secondly, on verses 7 to 12, he tells us about the awesomeness of God's presence. Thirdly, he tells us about the awesomeness of God's power, verses 13 to 18. And fourthly, he shows us the awesomeness of God's judgment, the last five verses, 19 to 24. Awesomeness of God's knowledge. The word omniscient is a big theological word, which really simply means that... uh, It describes God's perfect knowledge. He knows everything in your life and in mine. He knows everything that's going on everywhere in the world all at once. He has perfect knowledge of all things. If he didn't, he wouldn't be God. That's that simple. And no wonder David reflects about the awesomeness of God's knowledge, and he's overwhelmed. And here in this psalm, David applies this knowledge of God about all things and everybody. He applies it to him personally. He takes it personally, and he puts the searchlights of God on his life. God, you know me inside out. And that is why his confidence is, search me, because he knows God knows everything. Now he's hiding. And in verse 5 is a very significant verse. I want you to look at it carefully. David teaches us that God knows our needs. And that is why he keeps his guiding hand and his straining hand on us. Now, this particular verse, I want you to concentrate for a minute. David is actually, and you don't get this from the English translation, believe me, but David is actually grumbling. (laughs) He really is complaining in verse 5. What is he complaining about? He said, God, you're hemming me in. (laughs) I feel I am hemmed in. I am absolutely excited at the sense of the awesomeness of your knowledge. You know everything. But you've got me hemmed in, God. You've got a big fence around me. 
It is your guidance to be sure. It's your protection to be sure. It's watching over me to be sure. But you're hemming me in, God. Because the word here in the Hebrew means being hemmed in, and it is the same word that is used when a city that comes under siege. When an army surrounds the wall of a city and nobody can go out, nobody can come in. God put a fence around David, and David is wondering. Now, he catches it very well. He puts it there in a form of praise, but really deep down he's complaining. Probably some of you are feeling that same way. Why is God allowing this in my life? Why is He keeping the doors that I want Him to open? Why is He closing them? Why are they so bolted hard I can't get out? I am trying to get out of being hemmed in. I am tired of being hemmed in. How long am I going to be hemmed in inside this fence? Think very carefully. I know that from first-hand experience. That very fence that is hemming you in is that very fence as keeping the devil out from destroying you. And when David reflects on the awesomeness of God's perfect knowledge, he finds himself overwhelmed. He's absolutely overwhelmed. In fact, the Apostle Paul did the same thing when he was reflecting on the awesomeness of God's knowledge. In Romans eleven thirty-three. he said, All the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Secondly, the awesomeness of His presence. Verses 7 to 12. Another one of those big theological words uh, summarizes these verses is the word omnipresence. God is present everywhere at the same time. And the reason why David does not feel like a prisoner when he reflects on the awesomeness of God, despite of the fact that he knows he's hemmed in, but the fact he does not feel like a prisoner is this is that he knows that God is inside the fence with him. (laughs) Not on the outside, watching in. He is right there inside the fence. And there is no geographical place or emotional place or mental place or psychological place or physical place that you can go and God is not there. There is no place where your children or your family can go and God is not there. Jonah thought that if he physically removes himself, geographically removes himself where God is and goes somewhere else, that God is going to forget about Jonah's call. But God had to bring him back to the place of obedience. Adam and Eve thought that if they hide, if they just get out of the way, God is going to forget where they are. God didn't. He knew exactly where they were, and He brought them into the place of confronting their sin. Solomon tried to lavish upon himself a luxurious lifestyle, a lavish lifestyle. He thought that will get God, forget about him. But ultimately he said, oh, how foolish I was. All foolishness, the only way really to be contented is an intimate relationship with God. Listen to what God said through Jeremiah in 23, 24. He said, can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. He's everywhere. David said, there is no place. Think about it. No place, not anywhere, that God is not there, that God is not in control. In verse 8, he's saying that even in the place of the dead, the Sheols, God is supreme. In verse 9, where the rises of the sun and where the sun sets and rises, God is there. In verse 10, in the bottom of the ocean, God's hand is there, and He leads and protects. 
And if you ask David, David, what about the nighttime? What about in the midnight when it is dark and when our fears and our loneliness all exaggerated, when our problems seem to be far larger in proportion than it was in the daytime, when one feels abandoned and nobody understands the anonymity of it? What about in the dark days, when the dark times, David, in the night? <laughs> Not even then. God is there. He's not missing. God is there at the night time. He is there at the darkest alleys of your life and in the secret places. Because darkness and light to God are the same. You cannot hide from Him. Have you ever reflected on the awesomeness of God's presence and realize that because He is everywhere, we are not left without adequate resources for our life, for ministry. If you are in the will of God, you will never lack God's provision. Why? Hear this sentence. Memorize it. Because it's an old saying, but it's as true as I've experienced in my own life. Because the will of God will never lead you to where the hand of God cannot keep you. The will of God will not take you, will never lead you, where the grace of God cannot keep you. It was the Apostle Paul's sense of the awesomeness of the presence of God that sustained him through tough times when he dealt with some treacherous people that were out to get him, when he dealt with some treacherous situations in the shipwreck and in the on the land. And in the middle of it, in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, he could hear the audible voice of the Lord Jesus said to him, Don't be afraid, Paul, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you or hurt you. No wonder he testifies years later, just about he's getting ready to die, when he was in the prison writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, and he said, Timothy said, Although no one stood with me, but all forsook me, yet the Lord stood with me. He strengthened me. And when you truly reflect on the awesomeness of God's presence with us all the time, as you walk in the will of God, you will fear no circumstances. You will fear no loneliness. You will fear no oppositions. You're not going to fear any diseases. You're not going to fear, you're not going to fear, period. Because God is with you. Then third awesome thing about God here, verses 13 to 18, is the awesomeness of God's power. God is not only omnipresent, He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He can do all things, not some things, not like some people believe that He deliberately limits His own power. He does not. God can do all things. In another Psalm 19, David thinks about the awesomeness and the power of God, the unlimited power of God, and he applied that to nature. The heavens declare the glory of your name. Here, he takes that power of God and he applies it to the miracle of childbirth. The awesomeness of God's power in childbirth could never be fully comprehended by the study of genetics or anatomy or obstetrics. And that is why it's tragic and tragic and tragic thing when some people look upon the fetus as a nuisance thing, it is to be removed just like an appendix. Instead of seeing it as a miracle to be admired, it is the crown of God's creation. In those verses 13 to 18 of Psalm 139, David tells us that God is the author of life. 
He is the one who formed our inward parts. He is the one who arranges our genetic structure. And in Jeremiah 1, 5, God said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God forms us in the womb. And He knew us before we were formed. And here God is saying that He weaved us together. He shaped us together the way we are. He formed us before we became an embryo. In fact, David was awestruck at God's power in forming the little baby and supervising the growth of the little baby in the womb. So he responds with praise to God as he reflects of all the goodness of God in forming him. In verse 14, he'll say, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Have you reflected on the awesomeness of God's power in forming you just the way you are? In bringing you up in the family in which He has brought you up in. doesn't matter what you like or what you don't like. In giving you the friends that He has provided you with. And in the opportunities that He presented you and gave you. Verses 17 and 18, David records how riveted as he meditates on God's thought toward him. He becomes so excited. He becomes so intense that you see it even in the words. This is not about David thinking about God. David is excited about the way God thinking of David. God thinks of you all the time. He's thinking about you right now. Even when you are not thinking about yourself, even when you're not thinking about God, even when you get too busy to think of Him, He is thinking of you. He doesn't get too busy. When you get preoccupied and I get preoccupied and don't think of God, He doesn't get preoccupied to think of you. Even when you go to sleep at night, he never sleeps. He's awake. Just like a mother carries a sleepy baby in her arm. She's awake. He's asleep. God is not asleep. He's watching us sleep. He's watching over you. He's watching over me. Finally, the awesomeness of God's judgment. Last five verses of this psalm, Psalm 139 Verses 19 to 24, I know that this whole question of the judgment of God, of the wicked and the disobedient and the unbeliever, it troubles some people. I see it all the time. It troubles a lot of people. I think what compounds the problem is the pressure that we receive from a secular media, from a humanist perspective, that tend to make us think with sentimentality, rather than think the way God thinks. We see things from a sentimental point of view, not from God's point of view, and that makes it tougher. We don't see it from God's eyes. And what happens when we think sentimentally rather than think God's thought? We tend to invert God's order of things. We reverse God's plan for creation. And that is why you see and you found that the very people who support abortion on demand often are the very people who oppose the capital punishment for the criminals and for the murderers. They invert God's plan. God judges wickedness and rewards righteousness. And the world reverses the process. They reverse the order. They will condone sin and permit wickedness to go unrestrained and unjudged. 
And when Christians follow suit and develop a mushy, weak view of sin, when Christians become sentimentalists like the world, they will cease to be a spiritual people. But I have to hasten to say on this fourth point, because we live in the New Testament, and the psalmist didn't, because we live in the light of Calvary, it is very important for us to understand that we do leave the ultimate judgment to God. We must hate sin because God hates sin. We must hate sin in our lives. We must hate sin in anybody's life, but we must love the sinner, care for the sinner, accept the sinner, pray for the sinner, rebuke the sinner, encourage him to come to the foot of the cross, but we must love him and her. That is why Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies, to pray for our persecutors. Why? He said, leave the judgment to me. You judge by what you know. Because ultimately God is going to judge him, and God's judgment is awesome. Well, David had just considered the awesomeness of God's knowledge, the awesomeness of God's presence, and the awesomeness of God's power. And here he is meditating on the awesomeness of God's judgment. You know, people ask and say, if God knows everything, and if God has the power to do all things, why is wickedness continuing in the world? Why doesn't God do something about it? The tragedy is these people don't know that God already has. God settled sin's problem at the cross. That is why the cross is a stumbling block. He himself suffered for us so that we cannot accuse him of doing nothing. He has offered the way. He has shown us the way. He paid the price. I read the story about a man, I think the name spelled Shemel or Shamil, who was a leader of the Caucasian people that had long resisted the Russian advances into the area there between the Black and Caspian Sea. But among his people, Shamil discovered that there is bribery and corruption were rampant and it's on, on the increase. So he passed a severe law. He said, those who are convicted of bribery should be brought to the whipping post and receive a hundred lashes on their bare back. The first offender was Shamel's mother. Would he spare her? Would he order the hundred lashes on his mother's bare back? Love said, release her. Justice said, punish her. And the people were appealing for a verdict, for a decision. Then came the sentence, take her to the whipping post. And after five strokes had descended on her bare back, Shemel said, stop, release her. And then he stripped off his uniform and his shirt. And he said, I shall take the rest of the lashes. As his mother looked, he received 95 lashes on his bare back. Justice was satisfied, and love bore the brunt of the penalty. Jesus did not only pay 95%, he paid all the 100% of the penalty for your sins and for mine. He paid it all. 
And that is why His judgment is awesome. That is why in the day of judgment, no one can accuse God of not providing a way. In the day of judgment, no one will be able to accuse God that He didn't care. In the day of judgment, no one will be able to say to God, God, you're not giving me a fair shake. God's judgment is going to be based on whether we've chosen the cross as our salvation or not. Have you? Thus the psalmist, in the last two verses, he concludes as he began and says, God, conduct a spiritual investigation in my life. Conduct a spiritual investigation on me. Sure, God, I am grieved and I'm stricken by the wickedness of sin. Oh, but God, I want to be sure that I am not grieving your heart by my sin. You see, we can't judge sin in somebody else's life unless we're willing to judge sin in our lives, in our own hearts. Otherwise, we'll become a Pharisaic in our Christianity. And if you are caught up in the awesomeness of God's knowledge and God's presence and God's power, you will not fear the awesomeness of His judgment. You know, I want to tell you truthfully, I, every single day, invite, without any fear, invite God to judge me and judge my life and to search my heart and to point out there's a sin in my life I'm not even aware of to show me. Why? Because I know when I invite God's judgment in my life, He will exercise mercy. But if I refuse God's searching light and God's conviction of me and God's judging me, then I'm inviting His justice. And I cannot stand. I don't know about you, but I cannot stand His justice. God knows everything. He cannot make a mistake. God is everywhere. He will not leave us nor forsake us. God can do all things. Therefore, I live in the shadow of His power. God is fair and just. He will deal with me justly and mercifully. Thanks for listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef as he shared four aspects of God's awesomeness. We'd encourage you to share the content of this message with others. Challenge them to listen on the radio, online, and the Leading the Way podcast. More information about the opportunities are available now at ltw.org. You may recall that in Acts chapter 2, the Bible declares old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. Well, more and more, we're hearing stories of this happening today, and Leading the Way is excited to be a part of it. In fact, here's a note from a man wanting to understand more about what God has already revealed to him in his dream. I want this book about Jesus, referring to a Bible, but he didn't know what it was called, because a man spoke to me in a dream, and I knew he was the Christ. I heard about him from your messages, and I want to read and learn more about him. Thank you. It's incredible to see God moving in ways talked about in the Bible through leading the way. You can learn more by calling one of our ministry representatives at 1-300-133-589. That's 1-300-133-589. Or ltw.org. ltw.org. 
Or you can get in touch with Dr Yusuf through the post. Leading the way, P.O. Box 1900, Penrith, New South Wales 2751. Leading the way, P.O. Box 1900, Penrith, New South Wales 2751. Well, that music is telling me I must say goodbye. But please listen again next time when we share content from a powerful event where hundreds of lives were changed here in Australia on Leading the Way. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Connect via television, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter and all of the social media networks. Learn more at ltw.org. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.